0: Sites. I'm Jonna, and you've found the intersection of environmental law, the wellness industry, and consumerism. Welcome. Joining us today is special guest Mitchell Weinberg, CEO of Inscotech, a one-of-a-kind food fraud investigation firm. so much for joining us today, Mitch.
1: My pleasure, Tiana.
0: So I understand that Inscotech is a -a one-of-a-kind food fraud investigation company that you founded. Can you tell me a little bit more about your background and how this company came to be?
1: Sure. Um, Well, I started my career off as a lawyer, as a trial lawyer actually, and um, practiced law formally as a lawyer for about 15 16 years and kind of woke up one day and said you know is this all there is to being a lawyer Mm. (laughs) Uh, quite quite honestly while there were definitely interesting times and challenging times i didn't see myself at that time as continuing in the practice of law um, at least in the capacity as you know, a paid lawyer, mm, okay. and so I, I, people thought I was crazy, but mm-hmm. I left a, a very senior position. I was vice president general counsel of a multinational electronics uh, semiconductor distributor, Okay. and um, I was still, you know, a young man, and uh, I just decided that one day that I kind of had enough and resigned and um, decided to chart my own course. I didn't even know what I was going to do, um, but I thought that I would kind of figure it out. So I started with something that I was familiar with. I did international trade consulting because I'd done a lot of trade compliance work in my old job. And, um, you know, it was interesting and um, it got me to travel to different countries around the world, which was actually the precursor to Inscitech. Um, but the actual subject matter wasn't particularly thrilling to me okay. so um, I happened to be in Shanghai China and I was establishing an office there at the time and I had uh, it was a really hot summer day and uh, I went to a restaurant and had a bowl of ice cream for dessert mm. It was vanilla ice cream I remember that um, within about two hours of eating that ice cream I felt unbelievably sick and I had to Mm. excuse myself from a meeting and barely made it back to my hotel and really felt near death. It was the worst case of food poisoning you could possibly imagine. Um, I didn't know what to do because I was in a foreign country. I didn't think it was necessarily safe to go to a hospital and I couldn't even communicate with them, even if I went to a hospital. Uh,
0: <laughs> so <wow. laughs>
1: I decided to just stay put and hope that it passed. And um, what I realized actually is from that situation, I, I did obviously get better. I'm here talking to you today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it took some time. And what I realized there was kind of like um, uh fate at work, I realized how vulnerable we are to what we eat. Mm. And, you know, prior to that incident, I really didn't think about it much. I just like to eat food that tasted good. That right, right. <laughs> like most of us do. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, after that situation, I realized that, wow, I mean, this happened to me in China and Conceivably, I mean, it, it could happen really anywhere because I'd heard of people, you know, in the news, I'd heard of people getting sick or literally dying from, you know, food poisoning mm-hmm. um, from salmonella or E. coli or whatever the case might be. Right. And so I decided really at that moment in time that I was going to dedicate my career to cleaning up the food supply to make sure that nobody would get sick or get hurt from from food or even die from eating. Um, and that's how the adventure began, basically. Um, that was the, the, the triggering moment, I guess, to the creation of Inskitek. Oh, wow.
0: Okay. I feel like that is very impressive from food poisoning. Most of us are just uh, glad we got through it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They <laughs> kind of move on. Exactly. Um, yeah. But uh, you started a, an entire company based on that. Um, okay, and then how did you decide exactly, you know, how that was going to look as far as pursuing something as big as as food fraud?
1: You know, that took a little bit of time because I didn't even know what food fraud was at that point. <laughs> right, right. I had I, The initial thought was, okay, I knew what food safety was. Mm-hmm. So the initial thought was, hey, if I could intercept Food that was going to be shipped from Asia to the United States and test that food before it gets shipped off to the United States and Western Europe and Canada and other Western countries and test all that food for toxins and pathogens and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. that I might be able to solve the problem. Mm. What I didn't realize at that point um, was that food fraud is very different from food safety so food safety is actually um, a practice that's been very well developed over the last probably 50 to 100 years Uh, we have pretty robust uh, food safety programs and we've got the fda whose responsibility is to make sure that our food is safe Mm -hmm. um and i didn't really realize that you know And I think the food industry, and we can get into this a little later, but they see food fraud as a safety issue. And really most of the time, it doesn't hurt you at least immediately. Um, And you probably most of the time don't even know that you've eaten food that has been adulterated or compromised in some way, shape or form. Uh, So it's Mm -hmm. a very different kind of animal than food safety is, and the difference is in food safety, food safety experts know what to look for. So we know that there are foodborne illnesses. I mentioned salmonella and E. coli before. Mm-hmm. We see them arising you know, every now and then, and we know how to address that. Um, we know how to test for it, and we know how to address it. Food fraud is a completely different game because with food fraud, the people who are adulterating the food are constantly changing the way that they do it mm. because they want to go undetected and the people are right. doing it. It's not accidental. It's intentional. So, mm. um, they're doing this for economic gain. So that's very different from food, f- food safety, because food safety is just, you know, um, they didn't take the necessary precautions to make sure that, you know the harvesting of food was hygienic or whatever the case is it wasn't stored properly or mm-hmm. the right temperature but with food fraud you have people who are committing a crime and so they are very creative in terms of how they do it and how they conceal it uh, so i tried to think of different ways to address it and the first effort obviously i knew that testing wouldn't work. I I kind of figured that out because if you don't know what you're looking for, then how do you test for it? That was that was the problem at the beginning, you know. Um, So I thought this could be addressed with some kind of risk management software. So for the first year and a half or two years, I invested a lot of my personal money into developing a software tool that I thought could help address the problem. but and it was kind of like an early version of blockchain Mm -hmm. but i realized that you couldn't address this problem with a piece of software because you're dealing really with human behavior and what you have to monitor is actually human behavior you know and that can't be done by a computer 24 7. right so i thought about it more and more and then i realized hey the only way that we can really figure out what's going on is if we spy on the people (laughs) who are growing our food harvesting our food you know packaging our food and preparing our food Mm -hmm. and uh, that's where the whole concept of using intelligence gathering as a way of detecting food fraud was actually born okay Um, and that's what Inskatec still is today it's it's really Fundamentally, I mean, we do different things now in addition to that, but at its core, we're basically private investigators for the food industry.
0: Mm, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, before we get too far into this, um, just for those who aren't as familiar with what food fraud is, uh, we you've said it's a little bit different from food safety already, but what would you kind of define food fraud as encompassing?
1: Okay. I'll give you two sort of common examples that have been in the media quite a bit. Um, the first one you've probably heard about olive oil. So, mm-hmm. if you. Um, olive oil was kind of targeted by people committing food fraud because it's a fairly expensive food item and they realized that they could sell it for a fairly high price. Mm-hmm. And if they substituted cheaper oils instead of olive oil, that they could make even more money. So, what started to happen is certain olive you know olive oil producers in certain countries started to put in cheaper oils like vegetable oil or other plant oils in place of olive oil and they still label it olive oil or extra virgin olive oil as the case might be Mm -hmm. and they may put on a certain country of origin for that um and um it's neither from that country nor is it necessarily a hundred percent olive oil or olive oil at all it just depends on the circumstances it could be something that is colored and flavored to taste like olive oil but is actually plain vegetable oil mm. so um that's that's one example another example uh that's fairly common is is honey um, honey is is a very special commodity because it's produced by honeybees and honeybees are somewhat of an endangered species Um, you know the the bee populations have been declining they've been impacted by all kinds of environmental changes Mm -hmm. of pesticides and herbicides and stuff like that so what happened is um, in the United States and and many other Western nations um, we can't produce as much honey as we consume and so what that means is we become net importers of honey and this is true in the united states it's true in australia it's true in um, in all of western europe there is just more honey consumed than those countries are able to produce Mm. so what they turn to is importing honey from other parts of the world and of course it's the same situation as with olive oil people realize that honey is a very unique product a very special product so what they do is they add sweeteners to honey so they kind of dilute it a bit and just add in sugars so that it still has the sweetness of honey but it's not 100 percent pure honey Mm -hmm. so that's just one type of you know adulteration that that people do with honey so what that means is practically speaking and the situation here in the united states is very um, contentious right now because there is some litigation Um, that came out earlier this year against um, uh, certain importers and certifiers of honey. Um, You don't always necessarily get pure honey when you're going to the supermarket and buying honey. Um, Often it's imported from countries or blended um, with honey from other countries or multiple countries where some of the stuff in that blend is not 100% pure honey. So you're not necessarily getting pure honey all of the time when you go to the supermarket. Those are just two examples, but I mean, it could really impact almost every kind of food.
0: Mm, Okay. I know we actually uh, looked a little bit into honey just for a quick blog that I was also writing. um, And I noticed that there had been a lot of discussion about uh, raw honey that had actually been heated. And so it was not raw but it was being advertised as raw would that also be something that would fall under food fraud
1: it is that's that's a really great area because often what happens if honey is shipped in or stored or kept in warehouses where the heat is let's say above you know 105 degrees i think is sort of the acceptable level mm-hmm. it'll actually start to cook the honey and change it from its kind of raw status to a non-raw status. Mm. And that can be completely innocent, or sometimes it's just so heavily processed that it can't be called raw anymore. So that one's not as kind of black and white because mm-hmm. you don't know necessarily what the cause is and whether it was intentional or not. So uh, that one's a little bit more difficult. But with respect to just n- just regular honey that's coming off the hives that's not labeled as raw but just labeled as 100 percent pure honey you are not necessarily getting 100 pure honey mm-hmm. and that's that's really the, the big issue with honey
0: okay so what you would be doing uh, with your company basically is you'd be investigating and monitoring that at the source to see if people are say pouring cornstarch or something like that uh, in before bottling that up and shipping it off
1: that's exactly right so you know you know my company would go and go visit the beekeepers they would take samples of the honey off of the hives basically to ensure nothing has happened to it with honey sometimes what what uh beekeepers do in other countries not so much in western countries is they will actually feed the bees with like some kind of sugar water Mm. and that is also not honey because in order for it to be honey the bees actually have to forage for nectar from plants. That gives it its sort of unique flavor profiles and creates all the different varieties of honey. Mm. So um, so if I were doing a honey investigation, we would be going right to the hives. We would be observing as to whether the beekeepers are feeding the bees. Uh, and if so, what are they feeding the bees? Because sometimes it is appropriate to feed bees if there's really bad weather, or really cold weather, or whatever it is important that they be kept alive with with food but if it's a practice where let's say the hive is completely covered with a blanket as is the case in certain Asian countries the bees are never flying around to forage from plants they're just being fed Mm -hmm. um, and that's not honey either so what I did with honey and this is the first of its kind as well is I've come up with a certification called Genu honey and what that certification does is it basically assures the consumer that what they're getting is 100% authentic honey. That's all we're saying. We're not getting into raw, we're not getting into pesticides or herbicides. We're mm-hmm. just saying that what's in that bottle is 100% pure honey.
0: Mm. Okay. I can see just in that one one issue that one food item how there's so much nuance. Uh, it would be really hard to produce a program or something some regulated system that would automatically kind of sort these things out um that's
1: exactly right gianna you know this is really the problem with food fraud it's Mm -hmm. very difficult to create a sort of one-size-fits-all approach to deal with this because as you said it's very nuanced and the people who are doing this and where it's happening it's just so complex um a million different things can be happening in a million different locations and it's just impossible to police that
0: right and would you say overall that food fraud in general i know this may be kind of a hard question to answer but do you think this issue is is growing or do you think we are improving or what would you say compared to maybe now compared to say five years ago
1: i would say it's probably worse than it was five years ago i mm. think that COVID actually made the situation worse and the current supply chain challenges made the situation worse. So when you think about it, um, when COVID broke, there was a lot of concern about continuity of supply, which is called food security, but people were concerned that they would be able to get, you know, as much food as they'd been buying previously and the same variety of food that they were able to buy previously. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden the focus, you know, was on, making sure that we could get enough food, and there was like zero oversight with respect to whether the food was being compromised or adulterated in any way. Mm. And of course, with travel restrictions, which were in place for a long time, yeah, so um, it became very difficult for food producers to have any sort of oversight over their suppliers in different countries, which meant that it was kind of like uh the wild west it it means that the people producing the food could basically do anything to it Mm. um as long as they were able to continue to supply it so i think covid made it worse and Mm -hmm. i think we're still seeing the problem today um with certain supply shortages we've seen it through covid we continue to see it today if you walk into the supermarket you'll see that certain food items are in lower supply and I can't tell you why mm-hmm. um because I don't know where every single food comes from or what's involved in it but we're seeing it you know both at supermarkets and we're seeing it in certain um restaurants as well where they're just not able to get all of the food that's listed on their menu for whatever reason.
0: Mm, yes I think that I you know I think everyone has probably experienced that at some point uh, during the last 18 months going in looking for something specific and it's out of stock and they have no idea when it will be back
1: so yeah that's that's the situation so what that does is it creates kind of the perfect storm for um, food fraud because if there's no oversight and there's no incentive to do it right and they can make more money by substituting inferior quality ingredients for other more expensive ones, then absolutely, I think they're doing it. So that's that's one part of the problem. The other part of the problem is, it's an issue that the food industry, just as a whole, does not want to discuss. Nobody wants, um, nobody in the food industry wants to address this issue because it affects their bottom line, which is profit. Mm. So, um, you know, if people are questioning whether a particular brand of olive oil is, is pure olive oil or not, that could really damage brand reputation. So the industry does its best to kind of make it appear like they're addressing the issue. But in reality, they're not really doing anything to address the problem.
0: Right. A true focus on quantity versus quality. Exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. And price. Don't forget price. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Always that bottom line driving everything. Okay.
1: Exactly.
0: Exactly. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So in kind of looking into this issue as well, um, you even mentioned this a little bit ago, the term blockchain has kind of been thrown around as a solution for food fraud.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's... You know, and this is what the food industry does. It's like the latest, you know, kind of gimmick (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, to to supposedly solve the problem. So blockchain is, you know, as I understand it, I'm not a blockchain expert, but it's Mm -hmm. basically a way of tracing the origins of uh, a particular commodity, in this case, food. So the way blockchain works, as I understand it, is that at every point in the supply chain, there is data entered about you know, what happened at a particular day at a given time to the commodity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of that information is linked together and that collective system is called blockchain. So people were touting blockchain as kind of the be all and end all to address food fraud. And I agree and will concede that blockchain is very effective for a food safety incident. If, if you know that, you know, romaine lettuce was making people sick and you wanted to find out where that romaine lettuce came from, when it was harvested, you know, what happened to it along the way, mm-hmm. the blockchain is good for food safety situations. However, when it comes to food fraud, it's completely useless because you are trusting the people along the supply chain to be truthful. Mm. And if they're not truthful about the information that they're inputting into the blockchain, then the entire blockchain is flawed. So it does not work to address food fraud, period. It's just not a solution to food fraud.
0: right, because as you were mentioning before, food fraud is intentional, um, and blockchain relies still on human beings. Exactly, exactly.
1: So the data is obviously corrupted because the people who are committing food fraud are not going to be truthful with respect to the blockchain.
0: All right, gotcha. It makes a lot of sense. Um, So in kind of looking at this, then, is there something that we could be doing that would kind of Put us on that path to solving this problem, at least in this country. I know, uh, with what we're dealing with, with supply and demand, is there something we should be pursuing, in your opinion? Yeah,
1: yeah. I would say it, it, it's not that food fraud doesn't exist here in the United States. It's not that there aren't a few bad actors who are committing food fraud in the United States. Mm-hmm. That would likely be at restaurants. So you know. I've always suspected that if I go into a restaurant, let's say it's an Italian restaurant, and I order veal, um, I kind of wonder sometimes whether maybe pork is not being substituted um, in place of the veal mm. because it's a cheaper product. Right. So, you know, that's about the extent of food fraud in the United States. Sometimes, you know, they're saying something is Chilean sea bass and it's some other kind of fish. That happens in the United States. There's no question about that. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, um, this is a problem that is more common outside of the United States. And I think there are a couple of ways to address it. One, um, I think if you buy local and you see the farm where the food comes from mm-hmm. uh, or you see the hives where the honey's coming from uh, the chances of being a victim of food fraud are much less so to the extent that we can you know grow and produce food in the United States that's what I think we should do and I think we should do more of that I think we should be encouraging young people to enter agriculture and to come up with you know new and better ways that are environmentally friendly to grow our food and produce our food. And I think if we do that, that can go a long way to reducing, you know, the problem with food fraud. Mm. The second thing is, is consumers have to, you know, they need a voice where they can, you know, question the supermarkets or the people who are supplying them with their food about it, like Mm -hmm. where it comes from, how it was prepared, whatever else. Transparency. Exactly, transparency and whatever else. So those are two ideas. The third is something that um, my realization that the food industry is really in denial and not going to do anything about this is me returning to my roots as a lawyer. So, Mm. (laughs) you know. Full circle. (laughs) Full circle. I, um, I am starting, not giving up on InskiTech at all, but Inskatec will be a tremendous resource for my law practice. Mm-hmm. I'm starting up a law firm that will specialize in representing mostly consumers, but some, some honest food producers um, in cases against corrupt players in the food industry uh, mm. for food fraud. So what I'm doing is I'm establishing uh, the firm here in the United States in Canada, in the UK, in the EU and Australia, because the issues are largely the same. If you are buying olive oil, let's say it's Spanish olive oil, Mm -hmm. um, in the UK and Australia and Canada and the United States, um, it's likely from the same supplier. So if there's fraud associated with it, it's going to be the case in each of those different regions of the world. So what I'm going to do is concurrently or consecutively bring cases against the food industry around the world in common law jurisdictions or you know democratic countries like the United States with mm-hmm. sound and fair legal systems um, so that's the third way I'm going to be addressing the problem and my b- I'm guessing, Gianna, that that will be the most effective way to get the food industry to take a little bit more action to protect us. Mm, so, uh,
0: hitting that bottom line. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Where <laughs> where it counts actually. <laughs>
0: okay. So, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so I'd say that's kind of the next step for you. And then you said Inscitech is still going to be rolling as well at that same time.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Inscitech will be, you know, for any legal case, you have to prove for at least a civil case you have to prove your case on a balance of probability so meaning like 51 percent sure that you know this happened so what inscitech will be able to do is it will be able to collect evidence to prove our cases for the law firm mm. so it's uh going to be very valuable in in that sense um to my law practice basically and i continue to do work um, there are Honest players out there, and I continue to get hired. I can't disclose who they are, obviously, but Mm -hmm. there are parties out there who are concerned that, you know, food is authentic and not adulterated in any way, shape, or form. So I continue to get, you know, that regular work for Inskatech. And I'm going to be introducing more certification programs. I'm starting with honey, but I'm probably going to do one for olive oil and for spices and probably for seafood and fish and other commodities as well that I can basically certify as authentic.
0: Okay, wow, Um, that sounds awesome. I can't wait to kind of see that develop. We'll have to definitely get some information from you um, as well to kind of post if anybody wants to find you for those different things uh, online. Yeah,
1: um, you can actually find the honey, certified honey is actually starting to appear in stores um, like right now. Oh, okay. So I've, I'm collaborating with an actual um, honey producer. This is a very unique organization. It's a nonprofit organization called Valor Honey. And uh, what the founder of Valor Honey realized is that for veterans coming back from war who are suffering from depression or post-traumatic stress disorder or other emotional uh, disabilities is he figured out, um, along with his daughter, who's a clinical psychologist, that beekeeping can actually help uh, heal um, some of the emotional wounds that were suffered by our military uh, when they were serving in Iraq and Afghanistan and around the world. Oh wow! Um, so that brand is called Valor Honey, and I know for sure that Basha's in Arizona is going to be carrying Valor Honey as is high V in the midwest and I see them expanding all across the United States and Valor Honey is the first honey company that has the Genu Honey certification on it because I know for certain that the honey that they're selling is authentic and pure.
0: Okay uh, well I'll definitely include that in the summary if anyone wants to uh, check that out and that information as well. Um, okay well thank you again um, so much for joining us This there's a lot of great information and um i want to very quickly we have a, a quick bonus question to you uh, just to kind of leave our audience with um if you could go back 10 years and tell everyone you know and everyone listening one thing what would it be
1: um it sounds really kind of corny but when it comes to your work when you're doing something that you love or are passionate about. And that's how I ended up in food. I mean, I knew nothing about it, but we all love food. We <laughs> <laughs> do, yes. And it, it's actually a great conversation breaker. And I, I think you can solve many of the world's disputes <laughs> over a good meal. Mm-hmm. So um, my my advice would be really to, you know, you have to, when you're young and establishing yourself, you, you have to take jobs to support yourself and make a living but ultimately try to find jobs in an area that you're passionate about and if you have that passion then i think you'll really enjoy your work and it'll give meaning to your your career to your life by doing something that you know you're really passionate about and i can say that you know i have no regrets and this is what i will be doing for the rest of my career as well i'm just so passionate about food and i've learned so much about our food supply it's absolutely it's so interesting and dynamic um, and tastes so good <laughs> <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> that, you know, it just evokes this, this amazing passion in me. So that's my those are my words of wisdom.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And um, that's great advice. And if our listeners want to find you online, um, where can they do that?
1: Um, they can probably email me. It's um, Mitchell Weinberg at inscatech.com. I-N-S-C-A-T-E-C-H dot com. And uh, I'd be happy to answer any questions and uh, see if I can help them in any way.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again, Mitchell. Um, and thank you guys all for listening and joining us on another episode of Edible Insights. That's a wrap.
1: Thank you so much, Shiana. Great
0: you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Edible Insights starring Mitchell Weinberg, titled Thoughts for Food. This has been a production of Consumer Products Association. Thank you for joining us.